Amen. If you want to take your Bibles out, turn with me to the book of Luke. The gospel according to Luke, chapter 15, a very familiar passage today. But God gave me a word this week, and this just connected perfectly with what the Lord showed me. So I'm going to see if we can't learn something here this morning out of Luke chapter 15. I'll beginning at verse 11, 11, Luke 15, 11. It says, then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that fall to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swines ate, and no one gave him anything. Verse 17, but when he came to himself... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to, to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Father... What an incredible story this is, Lord. And I think so many people can even here this morning could probably see some portion of their life and the choices that they've made in the picture of this story. And so, Father, I pray today as we examine, God, what uh, you have instructed us, Lord, through your word. Father, you will help us to see the truths that's in it and how it applies to us. So, Holy Spirit, I ask you to come right now. Lord, I pray that you remove every distraction, God, anything that would hinder, uh, Father, us from hearing the truth of your word, God. Father, I pray that you give us ears to hear in our spirit, God, that we can grow by the word that you have given us today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Now, the parable of the prodigal son, I understand this is Memorial Weekend, but I'm just going to preach what God gave me. It's got nothing to do with the military, all right? <laughs> this is a, a disclaimer, because uh, God gave me this word this week, and that's what I'm going to preach. Uh, the prodigal son story is called the gospel within the gospel. It has been called the crown and pearl of all parables. Charles Dickens said that it was the finest short story that was ever written. In this parable, we can see the, the main theme of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel meaning the good news. Now, we know that Jesus was one of the greatest teachers that ever lived. The apostles never made claim to that. They knew that Jesus was the greatest of all teachers. He was also the greatest reformer that ever lived. He took a dead 
religion made up of rules and laws and reformed it into a living faith built on a relationship with God. How many of you know we should have a relationship with God? Amen. He was also the most benevolent man that ever lived. He was a do-gooder. The Bible says he went about doing good and healing all that were sick and oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Also, he was the greatest prophet that ever lived. He was a great teacher, a reformer, a miracle worker, and a prophet. But most importantly, and the main theme of the gospel, is, was, and always will be that Jesus is the redeemer of men. Because it doesn't matter if you learn the things of God. If you're taught, doesn't matter if you have miracles uh, worked in your life or if you're a part of the Reformation. If you're lost, none of that does you any good. The Bible says you must be born again. And that is the most important part of the gospel. It's the main theme and the main focus of the gospel. John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That's the theme of the gospel. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the theme, the, the sins of the world. Jesus told Zacchaeus when he called him down out of the tree, he said, the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. It's his whole purpose for coming. The Apostle Paul said this, and this really caught my attention. Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am chief. Now, I thought about that. Was Paul really the chief of all sinners? I think he was showing his humility. And what he was actually doing was picking up the mirror instead of the magnifying glass. Are you hearing me, church? We could learn from that, couldn't we? He picked up the mirror instead of the magnifying glass. But that made me think. Jesus came to save sinners. Who then would be the chief of all sinners? If you were going to name someone and you said that person was without a doubt the chief of all sinners, I don't think it would be the Apostle Paul. Come on. It wouldn't be in my mind at least. So in my attempt to gain understanding, I kind of analyze things and I sort of try to compartmentalize things. You know, this goes here and this goes there and so on and so forth. And so I tried to uh, make a list of who would be the chief among all sinners. Who would you say was the chief of all sinners? And it may be, I don't know who, <clears throat> maybe the guy that set the bomb off at the Boston Marathon, you know, just trying to kill it, just whomever, anybody. Jody Aries, the girl that chased her boyfriend around the apartment and stabbed him to death, had blood all over the whole house, and then sat there like she was a little angel, an innocent little girl as they was trying her in court. Maybe the Sandy Hook shooting where a guy goes into an elementary school and just starts shooting children would be the chief of all sinners. Or the Amish slaying where a guy goes into an Amish school and starts shooting children. Maybe it's the ISIS people. People in the ISIS just slaughtering and beheading and raping and murdering all over the place. Osama bin Laden who killed 3,000 people as he executed his, his uh, plan on taking down the Twin Towers. Hitler killed thousands and thousands of people after torturing many of them. Timothy McVeigh set the bomb off. Uh, and where was that? Um, 
Oklahoma City, thank you. I don't know who it would be. You know, the man that just went in and kidnapped a man and his wife, his child and a housemaid, tortured them for days and then murdered them. They just, just caught the guy. Maybe he would be the chief of all sinners. I'm thinking maybe Nero, the emperor, who took Christians and put them on, on poles and soaked them in oil and lit them on fire to light his courtyard as he would ride his chariot around and look at burning Christians in his courtyard. Used them for human lamps. Maybe he was the chief of all sinners. I don't know whom you would say. Who would be the lowest of the low? And how could God extend grace to people like that? In a book written by Max Lucado called In the Grips of Grace, he talks about a person that he thought was the lowest of the low. I'm going to read you just one page out of it. He says, you know what disturbs me most about Jeffrey Dahmer? What disturbs me most are not his acts, though they are disgusting. Dahmer was convicted of 17 murders. 11 corpses were found in his apartment. He cut off arms. He ate body parts. My tharsis has 204 synonyms for the word vile, but each falls short of describing a man who kept skulls in his refrigerator and hoarded a human heart. He redefined the boundaries of brutality. The Milwaukee monster dangled from the lowest rung of human conduct and then dropped. But that's not what troubles me most. Can I tell you what troubles me, troubles me most about Jeffrey Dahmer? Not his trial, as disturbing as it was, with all of those pictures of him sitting serenely in court, face frozen, motionless, no sign of remorse, no hint of regret, Remember his steely eyes and his impassive face. But I don't speak of him because of his trial. There's another reason. Can I tell you what really troubles me about Jeffrey Dahmer? Not his punishment, though life without parole is hardly an exchange for his actions. How many years would satisfy justice? A lifetime in jail for every life he took? But that's another matter, and that's not what troubles me most about Jeffrey Dahmer. May I tell you what does? His conversion. Months before an inmate murdered him, Jeffrey Dahmer became a Christian. Said he repented, was sorry for what he did, profoundly sorry. Said that he put his faith in Christ, was baptized, started life over, began reading Christian books and attending chapel. That troubles me. It shouldn't, but it does. Grace for a cannibal? Maybe you have the same reservations. If not about Dahmer, perhaps about someone else. Have you ever wrestled with the deathbed conversion of a rapist or the 11th hour conversion of a child molester? We've sentenced them, maybe not in court, but in our hearts. We've put them behind bars and locked the door. They are forever imprisoned by our disgust. And then the impossible happens. They repent. Grace is hard to understand. Do we not reason within our heart that we ought to be in line, that, that there ought to be a line where grace will reach and save someone good, middle or upper class, who is a, uh, who is a Protestant? I didn't catch that. Who is a Protestant or not out and down to the dormer? 
a Timothy McVeigh, a Hitler, or to some other poor wretch who doesn't look, act, smell, or believe like us? Do we not believe in grace with limits and mercy with certain qualifications? Maybe we do, but God doesn't. His grace is truly amazing and his mercy to all generations. So in our eyes, who would be the lowest of the low? A Jeffrey Dahmer, a Hitler, a Bin Laden, whom? Nero? Maybe it would be one of those, but not to God. Because Jesus is describing in the parable of the prodigal son whom God sees as the lowest of the low. It is those who have left the father's house. What is it about our human nature that we want to partake of the forbidden fruit? What is it about human nature? We say the grass always looks greener on the other side. You ever heard that? <laughs> no, the grass looks greener over the septic tank. <laughs> you might want to think about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All humanity is divided into three people groups. Those who are in the grips of grace, and I pray that every person here this morning comes under that heading. That's the righteous, those who have been born again. Those who have never known his grace, the lost world, some people that's never even heard of Jesus Christ. And then there are those who have known and have fallen away. They're the backsliders. And in the eyes of God, that is whom he is describing as the lowest of the low. In the eyes of God, the worst of all three of them is the person who's walked away from God. They've sinned with knowledge and understanding. In 2 Peter chapter 2, he says this in verse 20. For if after they have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, he has become the Savior of their sin-sick soul. Not only that, but he's become the Lord and Master of their life. They are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. Are you here? Do you hear what he's saying here? Nero. If he becomes a Christian and then goes back, he's worse off then than he was when he was burning Christians on poles to light his courtyard. You're worse off than you were in the beginning. Verse 21 says, for it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb. The dog is turned to his own vomit again and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. The prodigal son describes that type of a sinner. He was in the father's house. He was the father's child. It's describing a Christian who backslides and goes back out into the world after he's become a Christian. He's known Jesus as Savior and Lord. Now, Jesus is addressing this parable to the Pharisees. That's whom he is talking to, who has just condemned him for sitting with sinners, publicans and sinners. Because see, in their mind... The lowest of the low was the IRS, the publicans, the tax collectors, and sinners, the people that's out here just deliberately sinning. 
because this was an unthinkable thing. And when he described the prodigal son to them, what he described to them was an unthinkable evil. Because in their culture, for a, the younger son to go to his father and make such a request was the highest level of insult that you could ever give. Because first of all, it was the place of the elder son to receive the inheritance. But the younger son goes and says, Dad, I want all that you owe me. I want you to give it to me. Basically, what he is saying is, Father, I wish you were dead. Because you don't receive the inheritance until the father has passed away. So basically, what he's saying is, Dad, I wish you'd just go on and die so I could get my inheritance. Now, see, in the ears of the Pharisees, there is no higher level of insult. And according to Deuteronomy, that boy is to be taken out to the city gate. And the elders, the ones he's talking to, are the ones who's supposed to stone that boy to death. I'm telling you, living a compromising life will get you under a pile of rocks. Amen. I found that it's better to live on the rock than under the rock. You know what I'm saying? Are you hearing me? I'd rather live on the rock. Amen. My feet planted solid on the rock. I'm a rock and roll Christian. I am a rock and roll Christian, brother. My feet's on the rock. My name's on the roll. Amen. <laughs> yes. Hallelujah. See, the, uh, the Jews understood what this was, what he was saying. This was the lower, this was lower than Jeffrey Dahmer. Everything that your father has worked for all his life, he took it out and he wasted it. The point was this. Jesus was talking about them. He was telling them a parable about this boy, but really he was talking about them. The Pharisees that he was speaking to. In other words, this is a parable. You are that prodigal son. Is what he was trying to get across to them. If you look with me in Jer Jeremiah chapter 8, it describes the backslidden Israel. Verse 4, it says, Moreover, thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord, Shall they fall and not rise? Shall he turn away and not return? Question mark. Why then is this people at Jerusalem slidden back by perpetual backsliding? They hold fast deceit. They refuse to return. I hearkened and heard, but they spake not aright. In other words, God is saying, I'm listening. I'm waiting. But they would rather be deceived than to return back to God. Talking about the Pharisees in front of him. They would rather walk in deception. Because this is a truth that we learned many years ago. Rebellion and deception walks hand in hand. People who are in rebellion, they're deceived. The Pharisees were deceived. They thought they were all right with God. And they really did believe that. So he said in verse 6, I hearkened and heard, but they spake not aright. No man repented him of his wickedness, saying, what have I done? What have I done? See, repentance begins with acknowledging your sin. And even though this prodigal son had done something in their eyes that was the lowest of the low, at least he repented. And what he's trying to get across to the Pharisees is you haven't. At least this boy, you think he's the most vile, disgusting thing you've ever heard of, but at least he repented. You have not, he said. 
The son said, I will arise and go to my father's house and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. So he said again in verse 6, Jeremiah 8, verse 6. Are you getting anything out of this? I'm working to a point. Stay with me. He says, no man repented of his wickedness, saying, what have I done? Everyone turned to his own course. In other words, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And I don't care. I don't care if it's wrong. I'm going to do what I want to do. Proverbs 14, 14 says, the backslider in his heart shall be filled with his own ways. And a good man shall be satisfied from himself. In other words, a good man will be satisfied with what God wants him to do. But the backslider will be satisfied only with his own ways. The Pharisees did whatever they thought was right. Mark chapter 7 verse 9 says, Jesus told them, Full well you reject the commandments of God that you may keep your own tradition. And he said in verse 13, Making the word of God of no effect through your traditions, which you have delivered and many such things you do. In other words, instead of God's command being my pattern that I'm going to live by, I'm going to make my own set of commands. And I'm going to make that of no effect because my command trumps that command. Church, I'm going to tell you something. There's a lot of Pharisees in the American church today. Living in deception. They think they're right with God, but they don't live by this standard. They live by their own standard. And you can see it in their lifestyle. <clears throat> it doesn't line up with the word of God. So he said, I hearkened and I heard. They spake not aright. No man repented of his wickedness, saying, What have I done? They have turned to their own course as a horse rusheth into battle. Brother, I'm telling you, they had a full head of steam, and they were going to do what they were going to do, and you couldn't stop them. And you better not get in their way, because they will run over top of you. Some people, you try to help them, they'll cuss you out. Anybody ever known any backsliders? Come on. And you try to help them. They don't like that. They don't want you to help them. They get angry at you sometimes. Sometimes they blame you. And he says it's like a horse running into battle. They will actually make war against you. You're the problem. You're the point of attack. I've seen this myself personally. And Jesus was seeing this firsthand because the Pharisees opposed him. In fact, the Pharisees is the one that brought him to trial and hung him on a cross. So he's describing these Pharisees in Jeremiah. And Jesus is giving them an example in the parable of the prodigal son. Jeremiah 8, 7 said this, Yea, the stork in the heavens know her appointed time, and the turtle and the crane, and the swallow observe the times that are coming. But my people know not the judgment of the Lord. How do you say we are wise, and the law of the Lord is with us? Lo, certainly, in vain made he it. The pen of the scribe is in vain. In other words, they were bragging about the fact we're the Pharisees. We are the keepers of the word. We know the word. And he says, you don't even, you don't know the word. All the things that my scribes penned was all in vain because you don't know the word. You don't, how do you say that you're wife and the word is with you? The word is not with you is the point that he's trying to get across to them. They didn't understand the judgment of the Lord. So in Jeremiah 8, 9, he tells them what it's going to be. The wise men are ashamed. 
They are dismayed and taken. Lo, they have rejected the word of the Lord and what wisdom is in them. Therefore, will I give their wives unto others and their fields to them that shall inherit them. For every one from the least, even to the greatest is given to covetousness from the prophet, even to the priest, every one dealeth falsely. What he is saying in all of this is the backslider eventually will lose everything. The prodigal lost it all. He lost everything. He's eating with pigs. First of all, Jewish boys didn't have anything to do with swine. And now he's not only having something to do with them, he's down eating with them. One thing that I have learned, church, is if you will live according to God's statutes and commands, he will bless you. You can be guaranteed of that. But if you're going to rebellion, it will bring judgment. Verse 11, he says, for they have healed the hurts of the daughters of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. The NIV puts it this way. They dress the wounds of my people as though it were not serious, saying, peace, peace, where there is no peace. In other words, the Pharisees had this gaping open wound where their soul is pouring out. And they're putting a Band-Aid over it, saying, oh, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm okay. Peace, peace. I have dressed this serious wound slightly. It's when people are living in all kinds of sin that's contrary to the word of God and saying, oh, no, everything's good. I'm me and God. We're, we're, we be mates. You ever heard that one? <laughs> me and God and the apostles, we be mates. No, you're not mates. You got a gaping hole where your soul's running out and you're trying to put a Band-Aid over it. They're trying to convince themselves that everything is all right. You see, Pharisees just play church. They don't really live according to the standards of God. In verse 12, this is the last verse I'm going to read. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed. Neither could they blush. Therefore shall they fall among them that have fallen. In the time of their visitation, they shall be cast down, saith the Lord. Now, <clears throat> backsliders, if they backslide far enough, they're going to lose everything. Now, not everybody that backslides goes to the depth of depravity that the prodigal son did. Thank God. And I can say... That doesn't happen to every backslider because I used to be one. Are you hearing me, church? There was about a two-year window where I went out into the world and did some really stupid stuff. But thank God he rescued me before I got to this point. But if you continue down this path long enough, you will lose everything. You will wind up like the prodigal. And people who play church are prodigals. He's talking to people about this, who were playing church, the, the Pharisees. And what he's saying to them, who is the most vile person in the world in the eyes of God? It's you who just play this game, thinking everything is all right when it is not all right. You're in a dangerous place. Now, back in Luke chapter 15, he said, Father, give me the portion of goods that fall to me so that I might divide them. 
And so, uh, so that uh, he, so he divided them for his livelihood. So this boy, he takes the money, he spends it on wild living, the Bible said, rowdiest living. He spent it, and when all of his money was gone, his friends was gone, and here he is down in the mire with the pigs eating the slop. Now, I preached a sermon on this one time called Slop on My Face, and I really got a picture of what this looked like. This boy has got mud all over his clothes. He doesn't have sandals anymore. He's probably traded them for something to eat. He's down to nothing but this nasty garment on. He hasn't shaved, which he probably already had a beard. This thing is full of pig slop. Are you getting this picture? Have you ever been in the mud, gone fishing on the river or something, you got mud all over you? He's got mud all over him. He's got pig slop all over him. He hasn't had a bath. It's probably his hair looked like it needed an oil change. Are you hearing me? He is a nasty, filthy, stinking sight to see. And he comes to himself. He has left his father's house to serve himself. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, you're guilty of this same thing. In the eyes of God, you stink. You're dirty. He tells them one time, says, you wash the outside of the sepulcher, but the inside is filthy. It's dirty. Your heart is like the heart of this boy. It's dirty. It stinks. It's nasty. Rebellion and deceived. The word's been written in vain. You're saying peace, peace when there is no peace. He's broke. He's got nothing. He's wallowing with the pigs. But church, what I came to tell you this morning and what God showed me this week, God broke my heart over this thing. There is hope for the prodigal. Some of you know prodigals. And hear me this morning, church, there's hope for the prodigal. He said in verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like your hired servant. Forgiveness is always available to anyone that is wandered away from God, but repentance is required. He had to acknowledge that he has transgressed against God. He had to repent, and he had to go and request. Jeremiah chapter 3, another prophecy of Jeremiah said in verse 12, Go and proclaim these words towards the north, and say, Return, thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord. And I want you to get this part. And I will not cause my anger to fall upon you. Church, that was redemptive to me. Because when I came back to God, I thought he will never overlook that period in my life. The gifts that I had and the calling that I had and the anointing that I had was all lost because of that stupidity and that thing that I did. But when I read this, I realized God will not cause his anger to fall upon you if you will just return to him. He says, for I am merciful, saith the Lord, and I will not keep my anger forever. Only acknowledge thine iniquity that thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God and has scattered thy ways to the strangers under every green tree. That's talking about pagan worship, worshiping something more than God. And you have not obeyed my voice, saith the Lord. Turn, 
O backsliding children, saith the Lord. This boy has done everything that is required of a backslider. He is like backslidden Israel. Jesus is saying he is a picture of you, Pharisees. Only he returned. And the good news is Israel will return one day, church. It's prophesied. Israel will return one day. Read the book of Hosea. God will take her back again, his bride whom he's divorced from. The climax of this whole story is found in Luke 15, verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. See, when I get that picture in my mind, see, I've studied this. I understand what it's saying. The Pharisees understood this because what was to happen to that boy is as soon as he showed up again, the elders of the city was to take him and stone him to death for what he did. And, and when I studied this before, the reason the father ran out to him was to save his life. Instead of allowing them to stone him to death, he ran and he grabbed this nasty, stinking, dirty, filthy boy and started kissing that nasty, slop-filled face. That's a picture of the father and how much he loves you and me. He is standing and watching and waiting for the prodigal to return home. And when he does, he doesn't say, oh, you nasty thing. Look at what you did. Now we're going to have to talk about this. And God doesn't deal with us that way. He came and just hugged him and kissed him. And he was glad to see him again. He says, like, you're not going to hurt my boy. This is my son. And I am so glad to see him again. Now, when I see this, it's like a movie. See, before we got movies today, right? Oh, back then they didn't have movies. They told stories. And telling a story, people would sit attentively and listen to these stories because it was like watching a movie. And in the middle of it, you want to see how it ends. But if we stop this story with him in the pig wallow, eating with the pigs, and that was the end of the story, we would feel much differently about that. And as I was thinking about that this week, this is what the Lord showed me. Well, I wasn't really thinking about that. God spoke to me about something that happened last week. And this is what he said. One frame doesn't make a movie. I'm standing in the hallway out here. That's what God spoke to my heart. One frame doesn't make a movie. Now, when I was in high school, I wasn't a very good, I wasn't like Hunter there with straight A's, brother. I wasn't kidding about straight D's, brother. And I was happy to get a D. At least that's passing, you know. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? Come on. If I got a C, boy, I thought I was really smart. <laughs> and they had this thing called study hall. I don't know what y'all have nowadays in high school, but how many of you remember study hall? Study hall was like created to drive you out of your mind. <laughs> Because it was like boring and you had to go and like study. <laughs> and who, I mean, what 16, 17 year old guy that was cool, you know, wants to do that, you know. 
So I tried to find a way to get out of study hall, and I found that if I volunteered for auto-visual aid, that I could hang out in the library, and if somebody needed a film shown, because we didn't have v VCRs back then, guys. We had reel-to-reel. Remember the projectors and the screen? Sometimes it would jiggle. Well, that was my job when the movie got to jiggling. I had to stop it because you had the loop. You need to make a bigger loop in the top of it, right? So you got this roll-to-roll -roll film. Well, on this film, it's negatives, and down the side of it, you got these little holes that the gears catch in to pull it through the projector, right? And it's made from one frame to the next, you know. A guy throwing the ball, you see one frame's like this, and the next one like that, and the next one like that. And you run all those frames together, and he's picking the ball up and throwing it, right? Well, that's a frame. And so if you take that film and you hold it up to the light, you can see a boy on his knees with the pigs eating slop. But one frame doesn't make a movie. And as I was thinking about that, when God spoke that to my heart, I thought, my goodness. How many times do we summarize the whole movie on one frame. We see what's going on in people's lives and we sum up the whole movie on one frame. I've done it. You've done it. But God says one frame doesn't make a movie. Philippians 1, 6 says, being confident of this very thing, that he hath begun a good work in you, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, last Sunday, I'm out in the hallway, and this young man comes up to me, and he's got this big old ball of cotton candy. And he was a prodigal. Prayed for that boy, a young man, many times. And he come up, he said, I'm good. I said, you're good. Why? Because you got some cotton candy. He said, well, yeah, I'm good because I got some cotton candy. He said, but I'm good because Christ is back in my life. Amen. And I was fighting back the tears. I wanted to shout for joy because I knew he meant it. Now, he's got a hard road ahead of him because some of the same mistakes that I made, he made. And I know the road of recovery he's got to travel. And I'm praying for him. I'm going to help him on that road to recovery. But I stood there rejoicing. But after it was over, I thought about it. And I was convicted. Because even though I didn't really, really say, well, that's the movie. I didn't really have faith that that wasn't the movie. Because, because all I could see was the frame. What he's doing right now. The life he's living right now. And that summarizes his life. That's the whole movie. But church one frame doesn't make a movie. And we need to get this down in our spirit. Because we will sum people up and write them off. And thinking the whole movie is over because of this one frame. And so God needs to convict our heart that one frame doesn't make the movie. He that's begun a good work in you. He will perform it. He's going to complete it, not according to how you think it ought to end, but how he thinks it ought to end. Anybody in here know any prodigals? I know more than a few. I know some that's teeter-tottering right now on the edge. 
And if God doesn't get a hold of them, they don't get their heart right, they're headed down the road to prodigal living. And, and I pray that doesn't happen. And if it does, I pray they find their way back to God. But in the meantime, there's two, two things I want you to think about. And this is the message that the Lord told me to bring you. First of all, for those that are prodigal, that's come back to God like I did. You need to know that Jesus don't, didn't want to show the Pharisees how disgusting they were to God. He wanted to show them how much the Father will embrace you, even if you're the lowest of the low, if you will only turn and come back to him. God doesn't look at me with disgust. He doesn't look at you with disgust if you were a prodigal and came back to God. He looked at you like the Father did. He wants to run out and kiss your dirty, stinking, rotten face. Not only that, but he says, bring my robe and put it on him. What is he doing? He's covering my garments that are stained with sin. That old song says, lay aside the garments that are stained with sin and be washed in the blood of the lamb. He's covering him, him in, with, in honor. This robe represented honor. He's honoring this boy. He's not looking at him with disgust. He's honoring him. He took his ring off, said, put this on your finger, son. That represented authority. I'm not looking at what you did and say, oh, you've blown it now. You'll never be anointed again. Your gifts will never operate again. You'll never be able to be used by God again. No! He put his ring on his finger and said, you have all power and all authority because that represents me. And the Father has put his ring on your finger. And you have honor. You have authority. Take my sandals. Take sandals and put them on his feet. That represented sonship. His children wear shoes. Come on. The poor beggar out here that doesn't have anything, maybe he doesn't have any shoes, but my boy, my boy's going to have shoes. You are my son. You're not just a slave. You're not a servant. You're my son. Not only that, but go kill the fatted calf because you are my special guest today. So if you're a prodigal this morning, the devil has done to you what he did to me and told you, oh, you, God can never use you again. Look at what you did. And always reminding you of that. You need to know that, no, God will use you again. God can use you again. The Bible says the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. If God has given you gifts and he's given you calling, maybe you wandered away. Yes, but you came back again. The gifts are still there. The calling is still there. The anointing is still there. Come on, somebody ought to say amen right now. Finally, I want you to join with me in praying for people that you know are prodigal. And don't pray like I was praying. Well, I sure hope they're going to come back. Because there was all kind of doubt and disbelief. I was looking at that frame and seeing the movie. No, I want to pray with faith. Because that young man has built my faith that there's hope for the prodigal. Hebrews 1.1 says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's always been so hard for me to understand what that's talking about. I like it in the paraphrase better. It says, faith is the confidence that what we hope for, we will actually see it happen. It gives us assurance about things that we cannot see. 
The modern speech translation says this. Now, faith is a well-grounded assurance of that for which we hope and a conviction of the reality of things which we do not see. I want you to join me praying for the prodigals. Those that you know, those that I know. How many of you know a prodigal? How many of you got an ink pen? I want you to write their name down. This morning is an act of faith. I want you to write their name down. I want you to put it in your Bible. I want you to put it somewhere. Because we're going to make a turning point this morning pertaining to the prodigals. Thursday night at the one service, I, I really didn't feel the stirring of the spirit personally in myself until I got up to close. And I was kind of just wrapping it up at the end of the one service. And this is what God put on my heart. Let's pray for the prodigals. A lady told me Sunday that she prays on her way to work for five prodigals that's a part of our fellowship here every single day. And I was convicted about that because I don't pray for the prodigals every single day. But I'm going to start joining her and praying for those prodigals. And I'm not just praying, oh, I hope so. No, I'm praying with faith, believing that they're going to come back to God. I want you to pray with a well-grounded assurance that they will return to Christ. And a conviction of that reality, even though we have not yet seen it. So how is the movie going to end for the prodigal that you know? It looks really bad right now. But see, you're only looking at one frame. Don't do what I did. Don't sum up the whole movie looking at one frame. One frame doesn't make a movie. Because he that's begun a good work will accomplish it until the day of Jesus Christ. God is running the projector. Amen. Hallelujah. He's running the projector, brother. And he's not going to stop it on that frame. Say, well, that's it. No, he's going to play it to the end. Amen. He's going to play it till it's over. And it's not over until it's over. He's watching and waiting for the backslider to return. And the last thing is, let's all put down the magnifying glass. Pick up the mirror. See, the Pharisees, you're going down there eating with those publicans and those sinners. They got the big old magnifying glass out. Jesus, how are you eating with those publicans and sinners? Man, they're foul, nasty people. And he said, no, 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 no. Here, let me show you something. He picks up a mirror and said, look at that. This prodigal son, that's you. Your guts is ripped open. Your soul is pouring out and you're putting a Band-Aid on it thinking everything is good. The words that I've given you, I wrote them in vain. Because you're making your own commandments and they are making my words of none effect. Your own tradition is what you live by, not mine. So let's make sure that we keep the mirror in front of us. And when we're like, oh, that person, what they're doing, and that person, what they're doing. No, 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 no. Jesus, keep me straight. Help me, God, to take care of me. And I'm going to pray for them. Now, I obviously see things that people's doing, but I'm going to pray for them. I'm not examined, because brother, every time you point a finger, what? You got a whole bunch I'm pointing back at you, brother. And one don't know which way to go. <laughs> one is indifferent. <laughs> but you got three at least pointing back at you. 
Unless you're my oldest brother. He's missing that one right there. He only, never mind. He got his little finger cut off there one time. Slammed it in a mold. For, he worked for Ball Brother Glass Company. A hot mold. He stuck his hand in it, clammed shut, and cooked his hand. It's, they said they heard him scream all over the plant. I heard him scream all my life. That didn't impress me. <laughs> he was usually screaming at me when he wasn't smacking me upside the head. He was nine years older than me. He could beat me up. He's still bigger than me, but one day he's going to be in a wheelchair. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding, all right? Smile. Your face ain't going to crack. <laughs> Do what? What's that? What was it? Oh, okay. <laughs> you're going to put me on your prodigal list. <laughs> Who's going to be praying for prodigals this morning? You know, you might be here and you might go ahead and stand if you would, please. Jesus. I, I don't know where you are this morning. You might be here. You might be a prodigal. I haven't really singled anybody out or picked out a face or anything, and I wouldn't. That's between you and God, you know. But, but I can tell you that no matter where you are in your walk, whether you're serving God faithfully, doing what God commanded you, or, you know, or if you're in rebellion and deceived, or maybe you're a prodigal. I mean, you're to the point of almost eating with pigs. Man, God's mercy, he said, I will not be angry with you. I'm a merciful God. God wants to wrap his robe around you, wants to put his ring on you, his sandal, and kill the fatted calf for you. That's the picture of God. He's not an angry God. He loves us. The prodigal son is the, it's the gospel within the gospel. You ought to read that and just picture yourself as that stinking, nasty, dirty boy standing there saying, Dad, I've sinned against you. I'm sorry. He's, sorry, he's, whew, man, that warms my heart, brother. That really does. It warms my heart. See, I'm one of these guys. I, maybe I get too emotional. I don't know. I watch a movie. I'm, I know you guys, y'all big hunk, macho studs and all. You don't ever shed tears and all that. Man, I watch a movie, and I'm over there going, <laughs> I got something in my eyes. When they get to a really... Warm like it ends happy. I, I don't know what it is. I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm choking back tears. I'm like, God, what's wrong with me? Why, why do I do that? But it just warms my heart. It touches my heart, you know. And then I find out that Jesus wept. So I feel pretty good then, you know. The Bible says he wept. And if you study that, he said he wept with chest heaving sobs. So Jesus, he was a pretty emotional dude, too, and he was the strongest man to ever live. So I think it takes a real man to cry. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Nothing wrong with that. And so uh, just know that God loves you, and if you have wandered away from God, you can make that right. You can make that right today. I encourage you to do that. Right? Be the best decision you ever made. You know that clear water? He makes all things new, brother. Because, see, I didn't look like that crystal clear stream. My water had gotten pretty dirty, pretty nasty and mucky and muddy. One drop of the blood, brother. It's crystal clear again. Amen. Isn't that great? Praise God. Father.
thank you so much for loving us today. Lord, I've kind of aired my dirty laundry about my prodigal experience, God. But I'm, I'm quite sure that there's quite a few people in this room today that have very similar stories. And maybe even to a greater degree, they walked away from you. And God, I, I don't know, but maybe today the devil's just been beating them up, telling them that you can never use them again and that their anointing is gone, their gifts are no longer there. And Father, I just pray today that they have heard the Spirit of God to let them know, no, you still have authority. My ring's on your finger. You are honored. My robe is on you. You're my son. I put sandals on your feet and I'm going to celebrate you like something special. And they can get past that because Satan is a liar. All he does is he's accuser of the brother. He condemns us at every turn. But God, I pray that the truth was heard today. And Father, if there's somebody here that's wandered away from you, God, I pray that you just tug their heart right now, Lord. Let them know how easy it is to make things right with you. Father, if there's somebody that's going to hear this message, maybe somebody shares a copy of the message with them today. I want them to know that we don't look at you like it's the end of the movie and this is your life. I'm looking at you with faith. I'm believing and trusting God that he's going to bring you back to him and your ministry will excel and you will do great things for the kingdom of God. The things that you do, it may overshadow the things that all of us do. There is no limit to what you can do. If you will only return to Christ and let God deal in your life. You don't have to eat with pigs. There's more than enough in your father's house. And he's waiting for you. And he's watching for you to return. Then, Lord, I pray that each and every one of us, God, we may be living our life according to your word, God. In fact, we might wear our righteousness like a badge of honor. We may look down our self-righteous nose at other people, God, that doesn't live up to our standard. If we're not careful, God, we can become very pharisaical ourselves. So, God, I pray that you help us today, God, to pick up the mirror and always examine our own heart, God. And only use the magnifying glass to see how can I more effectively pray for that person that's struggling. Help us to be loving and kind, God, forgiving and understanding. In Jesus' name. Now, before we close, I'm going to ask you if you would just bow your head. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, your words have really pricked my heart. I haven't been living like I should. And I want to get my life straight today. Would you pray for me as you close? I'm going to ask you to lift your hand. I'd like to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you, I promise. I'm not going to ask you to step out. I'm just going to pray for you right where you are. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? I see that hand. Is there somebody else? I'm not living like I should, and I know that I'm not. And I want to make things right with God today. Will you pray for me, Pastor? Would you lift your hand? Anyone else? I just want you to know by lifting your hand, that's an act of faith. God saw that. I saw that. And God is beginning to heal that in your heart right now. He's making that right right now in your heart. I want you to just let the Holy Spirit just wash over you and cleanse you right now in Jesus' name. Make you completely whole. The Bible says, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is faithful and just to forgive us.
of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, make that person clean right now. In Jesus' name, I ask you, Lord, according to their faith. Now, Father, as we leave this place, Lord, help us to be Jesus to somebody this week. Help it to be genuine and real, God. Transform our hearts. Make it look like yours, Lord Jesus. Now, Father, I bless this people, God. I bless their home. Father, make it a refuge, an escape from the world, God, a place where you are honored, Lord, a place where the Holy Spirit is welcome. Strengthen each family, God. Strengthen relationships between men and their wives, parents and their children, siblings, one with each other now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you are blessed and encouraged by it. Central Virginia Assembly of God is located on 5052 Cross County Road, Mineral, Virginia, 23117. If you would like more information about the church, visit us at centralvaag.org or call 804-514-2413. We would love to hear from you. God bless.